Second Thessalonians 2, verses 13 through 17. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. You remember, Peter wrote to the churches in Asia Minor, always be ready to give a reason or an answer if anybody asks you for uh, a reason for the hope that is in you, the hope that is in you. Now, that implies two things. One, Christians ought to be known as hopeful people. Otherwise, nobody would be asking about it, right? People ought to see hope written on your life. Second implication, there are reasons for hoping. It might not look like it. Abraham was an old man. His wife was barren. And when he was confident that he would become the father of many nations through his own son, that looked irrational. It wasn't. If somebody had asked him, what's the reason for your hope? He could have answered something. So today's message and next week's message on hope ask the question, why hope? What's the foundation or the root or the spring of hope? How come we can have hope? And the answer today from the text is very simple, namely, the grace of God. The grace of God. If God were not a a God of grace, we would not be a people of hope. We might be able to cross our fingers. We might be able to, to, to wish and, and have happy thoughts about the future and bite our lips on the sideline and hope that the ball would go through the uprights. We might even be able to muster by sheer dint of willpower positive thoughts about the future in order to make the best of all the uncertainties of life. But there couldn't be any talk about moral certainty or strong confidence and expectation for good things in this life and the next. That's because God is a God of grace. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 for the key phrase that I hope is just drilled into your mind and heart this morning so that you feed yourself with it all week and use it as a fan for the flames of your hope. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. There it is. Good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. What a wonderful phrase. Good hope through grace. 
Who is this text talking about? Before we can examine it and ask what's good about it and what's grace, we we should ask, are you in this text? Is this text talking about you? It's not talking about everybody. Not everybody has eternal comfort and good hope through grace. The answer to who this verse is talking about is given in the first words of the verse, verse 16. And it says, Now may our Lord. And that means that this verse is talking about people who together with Paul count Jesus as their Lord. And the verse goes on. Now may our Lord and God our Father. And so it means that this verse is spoken to people and is only valid for people who are resting in the fatherly care of God. And so two qualifications to test yourself with right now to see whether the rest of this message is a comfort to you or a summons to you. Are you submitting and yielding to the Lordship of Jesus and all of His commandments in your life right now? And are you resting in His care for the future rather than depending on your own efforts and your own wisdom for how to make the future happen? If you can say, yes, my will is to do the Lord's will, and yes, I rest in the gracious care of my Father in heaven, this is your verse. This is a a pact and an oath for you. If you can't, then my prayer is that by the end of our time together this morning, in the next half hour, you will see the wisdom and the beauty of submitting to Jesus. And I'd like to pray with you to that end. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I know that there are people in this room who need to cross that line and submit to the King of Kings as Lord, Commander, Ruler, and Master in their lives and take up the yoke of His Word and put it on their back and find it easy and light. And there are people so fidgety and fearful about the future, they need to rest in your fatherly care and not... Be anxious about the things that the Gentiles are anxious about. And so my prayer, Lord, is that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would cause your word to run and be glorified in the submission of this people and in their faith in your fatherhood. In Jesus' great and merciful name we pray. Amen. Good hope through grace. It's a great and beautiful phrase, isn't it? Good hope through grace. It's sweet because all its foundation is of grace. Let's go back and ask, what is grace? Why is the hope good? And answer those questions by just watching grace in action in verses 13 and 14. Grace is in action here. I want to read these two verses and tell you to tabulate in your mind the five steps of our salvation mentioned in these two verses. And then I'll tell you what my five are and you see if your five match up 
and then we'll see how they are all of grace. Verse 13, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God chose you from the beginning to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this end, he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's organize those two verses. Step number one, God chose us from the beginning. See that in verse 13? God chose you from the beginning to be saved. The first step of our eternal comfort and our good hope is that we have been chosen or elected by God. Second step, or the next two steps are mentioned in verse 13. One is sanctification by the Spirit, and the next is belief in the truth. But now before we zero in on those two steps, drop to verse 14 and notice how it begins. To this he called you through our gospel. What does this refer to? Well, it refers to sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, doesn't it? Which means that the call of God in the gospel precedes those two. So I'm going to make that step two. Is that okay? Verse 14, to this, to this he called you through our gospel. So step one in our salvation is that God chose us from the beginning. Step two is, he called us through the gospel. Now let's go back up and get the two steps in verse 13 that we jumped over. Namely, sanctification by the Spirit. It says, God chose you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit. Nobody is saved in rebellion against God. We are only saved by God's making us holy, step by step. Sanctification is just a big, fancy religious word for the work of the Holy Spirit by which He makes us more and more righteous, more and more godly, more and more holy, more and more good and loving and kind and gentle and meek and patient and faithful and so on. Little by little, not perfection, but growth in sanctification by the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit does that, that's a work of grace in our lives. Now, that's step number three. And step number four comes right after it. It says, belief in the truth. God chose you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Nobody is saved except believers, people who trust the truth of the gospel, who bank on it, who hope in it. Now, let me clarify a misleading thing that I've done. I've said that step number three is sanctification by the Spirit, and step number four is belief in the truth, as though they were sequential. They're not. So that's misleading the way I've done it. But I just do it that way because they're different and they're put back to back in the text. Let me try to state what the case really is. Let's use the image of a road. 
You are chosen and you are called through the gospel and thus become a believer or become saved. The road that connects the call of God in the gospel with glory, the glory of Christ, is the road that could be called, on the one hand, sanctification by the spirits, a road of growing holiness. Another way to describe that same road is belief in the, in the truth. That it's the same road. And the one description of the road is a description from God's standpoint. What does God do along that road? Well, he sanctifies. Well, what do we do along that road? We believe. We trust and are sanctified by faith. So the four steps we've got so far in our salvation by which we are given an eternal comfort and a good hope are we are chosen by God from the beginning. We are called by God through the gospel. We are sanctified by the Spirit on the way to glory. And along that way, step four, which is really parallel with step three, we believe, we trust the truth of the gospel. And that brings us then to step five, which is in verse 14. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's the goal of it all. We want to be glorified. We want to share in the glory of Christ at the end of everything. So here are the five steps of our salvation. This is the foundation, the root, the spring of our eternal comfort and good hope through grace. We are chosen by God before the beginning of all things or from the beginning. We are called by God through the gospel. We are sanctified by God in the spirit. We are uh, preserved in faith along the road to glory. And we are glorified in the end with Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the, the great salvation that we have. Now, what makes this especially sweet, what makes our eternal comfort and our good hope especially sweet and powerful in our lives is recognizing that it's all through grace. Good hope through grace. So what I'd like to do with you for the rest of our time is just go one at a time through these steps and show you from Scripture that each one of them is a gift of God's free grace. And thus unpack for you this phrase, good hope through grace. Step number one, God chose us. If you want to look at the text with me, the first one will be Romans 11, verses 5 and 6. The context here is that Paul is trying to show that God has not forsaken his people Israel. Many are being saved in Paul's own ministry. And at the end of the age, the whole people are going to be converted. So God has not forsaken his people, Israel. And then Paul compares his own day to the day of Elijah when there were 7,000 people who hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. And so he says here in verse 5, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. That's the RSV. Literally, there is a remnant according to the election of Grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace 
would no longer be grace. That's as close as you'll get to a definition of grace in the New Testament. What is it? I would, I would sum it up like this. Grace is God's disposition to choose for himself a people apart from any works. Grace is God's freedom and disposition to elect for himself a people apart from any works. You see that in the text? Is that a fair restatement? Election according to grace, and since it is by grace, since this election is by grace, it is not by works. When God undertook to choose for himself a people, to praise his grace through all eternity, he did not pay one bit of attention to anything they might do. Their election was not based on any works at all. He chose them freely. And so step number one in our salvation is election according to grace. Step number two, verse 14 in our text says, To this he called you through the gospel. He called you through the gospel. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, is a verse that describes for us the foundation or the basis of God's call. Where did this awesome call come from? What's the root and the spring of the call of God that goes forth in the gospel and draws people effectually to himself? Well, 2 Timothy 1, 9 tells us where it comes from. It says... This is just five pages later in in my Bible. God saved us and called us. God called us with a holy calling, not in virtue of our works, but in virtue of his own purpose and the grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus ages ago. So where did his call come from by which in the gospel he brings us to himself? It didn't come from his looking and say, well, now where are some people who are are performing some things to make them worthy of my call? Not at all. It comes from his purpose, a free and sovereign counsel in his own will by which he determines who he will call in the gospel. And then to accent the freedom of this grace, he says, it happened ages ago before you were ever born or conceived by ever any father or mother on this earth. When he attended to you in Jesus Christ as a sinner before the world was, he called you before you ever were, and he did not pay attention to any good you could possibly ever do when he decided to do that ages ago. So step number two in our great salvation is our call, and it is all of grace. Step number three in verse 13, God chose you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit. Now remember what sanctification is. It's a big fancy religious word for getting better. Okay? Getting better by the Holy Spirit's power. 
First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10 is a great verse. Every one of you who names the name of Christ should memorize this verse because this verse, better than any verse I know, tells you how to talk and think about yourself since you've been saved. A lot of talk these days about how should we think and talk about ourselves. And here is a paradigm, a model for how the apostle talks about himself. He's asking the question, how do I stack up with the other apostles? His first answer in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 15 is, I'm the least of the other apostles because I persecuted the church. That's not his only answer. Second answer comes in verse 10. And he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of those other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God which is with me. Now, the word sanctification isn't there. I know that. But wouldn't you agree with me that the reality of sanctification is there? Verse 9, here's a murderer. My family just read at the breakfast table this morning Stephen's speech in Acts 7. Remember that? This deacon whose face shone like an angel and whose wisdom they couldn't resist. But when he was finished, done, finished speaking, they just bashed his head in with rocks. And the last line of the chapter says, actually it's the first verse of the next chapter, and Saul was consenting to their deed. And my boy said, what does that mean? And I said, he wants him dead. Paul wants Stephen dead. That's verse 9. A murderer. And then verse 10. Now, a hard-working, obedient apostle of the Lord Jesus emerges out of nowhere. How did it happen? You couldn't ask for any more redundant emphasis for how it happened. Three times. First, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Second, His grace was not in vain toward me. Third, I worked hard, but it was not I. It was the grace of God. Get the point? Grace, grace, grace. Not me. When Paul looked back on his life and he saw a converted soul and a hard-working, obedient apostle, he was stunned at grace. That's the way we should talk about ourselves. Step four. Belief in the truth. Verse 13 again, God chose you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Is that belief a gift of grace? It sure is. Acts chapter 18, verse 27. Sometimes when you're reading an inspired writer... And he seems to be just tossing out insignificant details. Watch out. He might drop a bombshell on you. Luke does drop a bombshell on us as he, 
He gives a little description of the comings and goings of the Apostle Paul in Acts 18.27. He says, When Paul had wished to cross to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who... There's a bomb. Through grace had believed. How did they believe? How did they ever come to believe these people who were dead in their trespasses and sins? Rebels against God, hard in heart. Grace. How did you come to believe? What are you going to say to God Almighty at the judgment day if He should ask you to give an account for how you came to believe in Him? Is there any of you who is going to say, I overcame my rebellion against you. And I took out of myself the heart of stone and put in the heart of faith. And I conquered the indifference of my soul and created in myself a flaming zeal of faith. Praise you, God. God forbid that any of you is going to answer that way. The way we are going to answer God permitting, is by grace I overcame my rebellion. By grace the heart of stone was taken out and the heart of faith was put in. By grace the coldness and the indifference of my heart was turned into a flaming fire of faith. That's the way we're going to answer the Lord. And so step four is a gift of grace. We have been chosen by grace. We have been called by grace. We are being sanctified by grace. And our faith in the truth is a gift of grace. And that brings us to the last step in our salvation, namely verse 14, which says that to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. The great goal to which all of us are looking and in which we are hoping is to be swallowed up in the glory of Jesus Christ. Is that a gift of grace? Look across the page in chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians. Here's a beautiful prayer in verse 11. I love this prayer. I hope you all pray this way for me and for the church and yourselves. It's the way Paul prayed for his churches. It's the way he prays for us. Let's read it and see whether or not our being glorified with Christ is grace. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his call and may fulfill every good resolve and work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, that is, and you may be glorified in him according to the grace of our God. How do you know you're going to be glorified? How do you know all this hope isn't going to peter out, peter out at, at the end of the age? 
and leave you nowhere or in destruction? And the answer is the grace of God. According to grace, we will be glorified with Christ, it says. So let's close it down and sum it up. Our whole salvation, brothers and sisters, is of grace. God chose us by his grace. God called us in the gospel by his grace. God is sanctifying us by the Spirit through grace. God is sustaining and upholding us in faith by his grace. And God is going to glorify us according to his grace. It is all of grace and therein lies eternal comfort and good hope through grace. So let me close with this one exhortation. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for He is a great God of grace. Grace in election. Grace in calling. Grace in sanctification. Grace in faith. Grace in glorification. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. You can't deserve it. Believe it, rest in it, delight in it, and it's yours. And that's the gospel.